0: This is the Huddle Podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Stolo. Today I'm talking with Eva Villalba. Eva is the executive director of the Quebec Cancer Coalition, an umbrella group of more than 65 nonprofit cancer organizations dedicated to improving the Quebec healthcare system for people affected by cancer. Eva is passionate about good governance, government relations, public policy, community impact, value based healthcare, health transformation, and social innovation. Eva is helping to accelerate a new kind of conversation in healthcare, one focused on human potential, empowerment, and meaning. I talk with Eva about value based care. What is it, and why is understanding what people want from their healthcare experience integral to the healing journey? and shifting how we practice the craft of care. For as, as young as you are, I feel like you have decades of experience exploring the territory of healthcare. from many, many years working in palliative care to now working more on the advocacy end uh, in the oncology space. And what's interesting is that your pathway has led you to some enlightening conclusions about where you feel healthcare needs to move to really do a more optimal job of accompanying people in their experience of seeking help and um, feeling cared for. And it's something called value-based healthcare. For the sake of getting clear on what value-based healthcare is, maybe give everyone just a very, the the most distilled definition of what value-based healthcare means.
1: So... When I try to explain it to people that have never heard of it, I I try to talk about what do we base our healthcare decisions on? Currently, we're basing our healthcare decisions based on what's good for the system or what's good for doctors. There's never this concept of the value that we get out of our healthcare system is that people are healthier. And so if I could summarize it, value-based healthcare is actually... An idea that that says that true value is improving health outcomes for people over the entire trajectory of care, not just at one point, and trying to actually improve their health is what true value is. So if I had to summarize it without you know all of the formulas and the jargon that's that's how I would summarize it. but in fact it, it was developed in like two thousand and six by Elizabeth Teisberg and and Michael Porter. um, And they came up with a very clear, succinct formula of value equals uh, health outcomes over cost over the entire trajectory of care. But you could just simplify that and say, value is improving the health of people over a long period of time, not just at one point. and, And giving that value is actually beneficial for healthcare providers, for the system, for payers for everyone it's it's really a win win but the current situation that we're in right now is certainly not win win just giving services giving healthcare services is not what healthcare a healthcare system should be made to do it should just focus on giving health and that's not what we have and i do think that there's an opportunity to transform healthcare by refocusing on that value
0: it's it's a bit odd to imagine that we could have drifted so far from the idea that healthcare was about supporting people and living healthier? Like, it's odd to think that, right? It'd be like imagining, I don't know, a, a fire brigade that whose core mandate had drifted away from putting out fires. <laughs> so how is it possible that we could have drifted so far away from the idea that healthcare is about supporting people and living healthier? Where is the, what's causing the drift?
1: Honestly, I think that, it's, we forgot what the healthcare system exists for. I think that we forgot the purpose. So, and, and in that, we started to think of the ultimate client to please as, you know, either governments or payers or healthcare providers and not the ultimate end user which is the patient or the person using the services right the healthcare services and i think that's where we that's where we got distracted because if we actually thought that the goal of our healthcare system was to make people healthier we would invest more in prevention we would have more human healthcare uh, we would actually share information more and stop being so guarded and competitive about the information that we share across silos But the reason that things exist the way that they are right now is because they work for the people that the system has over time been made for. And that's establishments, hospitals, you know, healthcare systems, or even insurers. Even the pharma industry for the longest time, they were not necessarily making their products to serve patients. I think this is changing now. But for the longest time, they were actually catering to doctors or to hospitals or to public or private payers. And that's the client that they cared about. Now we're starting to see a shift, not just in pharma, but also at the government level. And I think even a lot of healthcare providers, I think we're starting to see that the end client, if you will, should actually be the person receiving the services or the person that shouldn't need services because we're doing our job so well, right? So in that sense, I think that that's where we got off track by forgetting that the real purpose of a healthcare system should be to provide health and not healthcare services. So we just got really good at the production line of services. Let's optimize service delivery, but it shouldn't be about, you know, how many great services you can give. I don't want, an airplane ticket to just anywhere. If I want to get an airplane ticket to Spain and you give me one to Luxembourg, thanks a lot, but I'm not getting to my destination, you know? And so I really need to go where I want. And I think that we all want health. We don't want to go to five different doctors and do five different imaging services and tests and whatnot. We just want the shortest, most efficient way to get healthier and feel better. I think that's universal. But we definitely forgot and lost our track.
0: Yeah. And I think for people listening, it can probably feel a bit counterintuitive because you would think more is better. I mean, you know, we love to think that more is better. Um, and actually, if you look at the evidence of spending in healthcare and places where they deliver more service, outcomes don't actually improve. Um, and the U.S. is often held up as a glaring example of that, spends the most in, in the larger economies and the larger countries often does the worst in terms of healthcare outcomes. So I think it's important that people open to the idea that more is not better in this context. More of what is meaningful to people, I think, is what you're talking about here in a value based approach to healthcare. So let's unpack it a bit like concrete example. Let's contrast what it would be like for someone to go see their doctor A quote unquote conventional model versus going to see their doctor in more of a value based approach to healthcare. So, like contrast for people, like the highlights of what that experience might look like in those two scenarios.
1: So, there's two really important axes, two important elements that are necessary for value based care one is outcomes measurement. So, and the other one is integration of care. So outcomes measurement means currently what what our system measures is what serves the system. So process metrics like waiting times and how many beds are available. Um, How long does it take you to see a doctor? Uh, And then clinical outcomes, like very binary clinical outcomes, like does the person have cancer? Yes or no? Did we get rid of it? Yes or no? Oh, great. But all of the important things for patients or for people going through the system like quality of life measures, like, am I able to do the things that I love? Can I ride my bike? Can I play with my grandchildren? Can I garden? Can I continue working? Can I continue to have children, etc.? Can I have meaningful, healthy relationships, you know, in my life? Um, these are not usually measured and they should be because it's what matters to patients. It's what matters to people. It doesn't just having, you know, being cured of cancer, but having incontinence and being unable to walk and being bedridden it's not about the quality of life it's not about the quantity of life I mean it's about the quality of life and that's not currently measured so in a value-based model you would actually not assume that any healthcare provider or system actually knows in advance what that person wants you would take the time to ask mm-hmm. and so just asking out of all of the things that I should be measuring in order to know that I've done my job and that I have provided you value, what should I be focusing on? In my case, I would have liked to continue playing soccer. Now it's that's out of the question because I busted my knee, but I could still bike ride. So if I had a surgery, I would tell them, I wanna be able to ride my bike as soon as I can. I wanna be able to continue to take hikes in nature, et cetera, you know? If that isn't discussed in advance, then the whole trajectory of care is very different. So having that initial conversation about what are the outcomes that matter to you as an individual? We already know according to certain like disease areas, you know, what are the general things that you can ask about? But the bottom line is don't assume. Everyone should actually have a conversation. Um, and the second part is integration of care. And so I alluded to it earlier, but that the fragmentation of our healthcare system is suboptimal and makes us really spend more money to duplicate information that should just be shared. That there's a there's a lack of communication between healthcare providers, uh, between healthcare establishments or locations. It shouldn't be context or healthcare provider dependent. The information about a person's health should follow them. And and in a value-based healthcare model, you would have that integration of care where the same kind of team of which the person is a part of their own care team. And then because we recognize that they're experts in their own experience living with the disease, whatever it is. And so that team shares all of the necessary information to actually Follow the person through their journey in the healthcare system and actually anticipate and adjust the trajectory of care to make sure that we get to those outcomes, to make sure that, you know, as a young person with cancer, I can still have children if I choose to. Because that was a discussion that I had with my healthcare provider at the beginning. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen these days, you know, and with very tragic consequences. So it's just the idea of actually having the conversation. What should we be measuring to know that we did a good job? that's That's the value measurement. It starts by having a conversation. And then the second part is integrating the care to make sure that the person is not repeating themselves over and over in this like very tragic game of telephone where you inevitably lose some information along the way, but that the information is shared by the key providers or the key team members. Um, in order to achieve that common goal, that everyone has that common goal to help that person achieve their health outcomes that mean that not only do they not have cancer, for example, but they're actually doing better. The system did their job by providing value to that person and making them healthier, making them better, and according to what really matters most to them.
0: Yeah, it seems like a lot of the game being played right now is a kind of fix it, live longer game. Um, so we measure every, like you said, the word binary, it's either fixed or it's not fixed.
1: It's a break and fix model instead of a predict and prevent model Mm. that value-based healthcare really aims to, to transform healthcare to a predict and prevent model. And actually to your point earlier, we wouldn't have to spend so much money if we just, uh, you know, invested early on to predict and prevent and not just breaking fixing people once they were broken, which is yeah. what our system is currently made to
0: do. Yeah. I think it also removes some of this disorientation that people have around the illness. You know, like we talk a lot about disease education. Okay, well, how much does the person really want to understand the chemical makeup of their tumor? Not really. What they want to understand is like, to your point, how do I get back to a life that I find meaningful, fulfilling, satisfying? So yes, there's this thing that is interrupting the flow of that experience. There's something, what I'm more interested in understanding is is like, how do we move through this experience of this illness to, everything else, this seems almost like mental placation. Well, this is the nature of the disease and this is the treatment that we apply to the disease to fix it, so to speak. But to your point, I think it masks the underlying desire or want to get back to a sense of, Maybe normalcy isn't the right word, but a sense of this is life for me lived well.
1: And, and I do think that, you know, there's an element of compassion that is currently missing in our system, which I think value-based healthcare by, by taking that time from the beginning and not just one doctor or one nurse, but an entire team really rallies around what are the health goals of this person? And I think that that enables to also mitigate the very real anxiety that people face, not knowing one of the worst things of going through any, any you know uh, disease, especially you know serious or chronic diseases, it, it is to not know what's what's beyond you know the hill, like what's on the other side. And that creates that creates such anxiety, which can easily be mitigated just by anticipating, you know, the this is the impact of your disease. I'm not going to go into the science of the disease, but this is what may happen. And this is how you can deal with it. And you can count on us to be here for you. You know, if you have digestive issues or if you have nausea or it's normal that you feel, I was re- recently having a conversation with someone who had just started chemo and and had cortisone and she thought she was going to die. She felt like she was. She had just ingested like 25 coffees and her heart was beating out of her chest. No one told her that that was a normal side effect. And that was extremely stressful for her. But if someone had just told her, by the way, this may happen, you'll be fine. Sit down and take five deep breaths and it will pass. You're not gonna die. This is a normal side effect of cortisone. and that t- it literally requires no extra money. It doesn't require any extra resources to the system to be compassionate and to anticipate the person's needs. It To do very simple things that just, you know, you would want to do to your mom or your partner or people that you love, right? So it's it's that approach of treating others like, not just like you would like to be treated, but like you would like the people that you love to be treated, right?
0: Yeah, it seems like such a simple principle. And I agree with you. I think that one of the, certainly the side effects of value-based care is that it, it will invite a lot more empathy and compassion into the experience because you're forced to be present with the person first. The disease becomes secondary to the experience of how do I support this person in feeling that sense of deep fulfillment And I would venture to guess that it will be a lot more fulfilling for healthcare professionals as well. You know, to be able to celebrate someone who is going through a, you know, achieving milestones, mini milestones, to not make everything about, well, either we fixed them or we didn't fix them, and that being the only moral benchmark for success. Which I think, quite frankly, is incredibly demoralizing for a lot of healthcare professionals, particularly in chronic care, where answers aren't simple and light switches are mostly dimmers, not on-off switches. How do we establish different benchmarks to say, we are doing something meaningful in accompanying this person this way? Uh, They're both experiencing that meaning, they're communicating that meaning back to us. I think it would be a a million times more enriching experience for healthcare professionals to feel that sense of incremental accomplishment. You know, it's like we're really helping this person to experience and live out their health in a way that has meaning for them, other than something that's purely diagnostic, that has a specific treatment protocol attached to it, that we hope will have a specific outcome attached to it. You know, like I I look at all those videos you see on, you know, social networks where someone is finally cured from cancer and they ring a bell and they go home. Well, that's not exactly how this actually plays out. That that's it's that's something that looks polished for social media. I think of many people in my life who were supposedly fixed from something and then went home and had a cascade of other things arise in their experience. So I I think even stepping out of that mindset of winning or losing that, you know, your chemo treatment's finished so you can ring a bell. And that's the milestone that we're looking for is that treatment is now over, so to speak. I think all of that requires like a complete overhaul in how we think about the healthcare journey.
1: I think that the, the success metric should be, have we helped people get to where they want to go. And all you have to do is ask them, you know, like, what does success look like for you? For sure, you know, not having cancer, for example, is like on the top, but it's not the only thing and not having cancer, but having a poor quality of life is really not many people would choose that. So I I do think that, like you said before, uh, it does improve, you know, burnout and like that, that Feeling of dehumanization that so many healthcare providers feel, having that feeling like they're making a difference in someone's life, which of course they're already doing by you know curing people or making them better. But I think that that um, just knowing that they're actually providing value and knowing that patients or or people going through this healthcare journey are so appreciative when they're treated like human beings, <laughs> and that in itself is rewarding for healthcare providers, because often they're not treated like human beings either. They're just like, you know, it's in and out, this 10 minute transactional quick conversation in which there's such a distance and and it's humanizing. It's the humanizing for the person receiving, it, it's the humanizing for the person giving it. And we have seen that in value-based healthcare. First of all, the healthcare providers are already working as a team and not like in their own silo, which is in itself much more rewarding. They're working together towards a common goal, um, but also they get to see the impact, not at the end, but really throughout the journey. They're accompanying the person throughout the journey. And that is also really rewarding. And, and I think that it's it's really beneficial. It's a win-win situation for everyone. The idea is that it still requires a cultural transformation. Mm-hmm. It still requires a shift in making decisions based on value defined by health outcomes for for people and not-
0: Health outcomes for diseases.
1: Health outcomes for diseases. I don't even think we do that super well. I think that currently we're just looking at, you know, how well does this hospital perform or how has the government spent the same as last year index at the cost of living? Like what kind of metric is that? That does not tell us that our population is healthier. Yeah. We, need, we, we do need to measure outcomes. We do need to know, you know, prove that we're actually measuring things. But then I think that the key success factor is how much does that align with what people actually want? Yeah. So do I want to, I was in palliative care for almost a dozen years. Does the person want to die at home? And if so, did we allow them to do that? Right. That is success.
0: Yeah, so did they there not suffer
1: the, you know yeah. yeah so
0: like dying with dignity so to speak for someone would be a measure yes. of success
1: exactly not, without not, pain right and in the in the in the context of their choice surrounded by their books and dogs and plants and things that make them happy yeah. you know
0: it requires a much more empathy based approach to the experience of health and I would also Contend that from a preventative lens, it also helps us understand where people might also be stuck. Like we know that there are a lot of people showing up in a healthcare context who, <clears throat> and this is not about blame, but through their own quote-unquote self-neglect, find themselves developing health issues. Whether that's through certain habits, patterns of behavior, um, eating, exercising, not eating, not ex- all those those dimensions that contribute to certain chronic health problems that. Um, overwhelm healthcare systems like diabetes and <clears throat> heart-related uh, health problems and respiratory issues. <laughs> One of the benefits I can see of value-based care is that if you turn to the person who's living with the health issue and said, what really matters to you, and they're not able to easily define that, well, that's a great starting point to have a conversation about inviting them to explore that question. Because we know that when somebody is living out of alignment with a sense of value, a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, it often translates into forms of self-neglect. Where there's an absence of meaning in my life, I will tend to not take care of myself as well, like, because I can't really hang my hat anywhere. So I'm living this kind of you know, uh, ambivalent life that doesn't have a really clear sense of direction or a sense of meaning. I just think having those conversations alone could be a massive preventative tool in terms of supporting people in the process of really defining that, you know, so it's like if someone's in front of you and they have, you know, um, a health problem that's related to some kind of behavior a self-neglecting behavior, it invites the conversation like, why do you think you're doing these kinds of things? Like... What are are some things that matter to you that would shift how you eat or exercise or dedicate yourself to? Um, So I just think that idea alone in a value-based approach to invite people to understand or think about or reflect on what they value could be massively transformative from a health prevention perspective. So that you don't have someone punishing themselves every day because they feel like there's no sense of coherence or meaning in their life. They don't really understand what they value. They don't derive a lot of satisfaction from work or from home or from whatever it is they're doing. And the healthcare experience invites that exploration as well.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think part of the, the problem currently, and, and we certainly saw it during COVID is that our healthcare system currently is extremely hospital centric. It's, I mean, if we had, thought of protecting vulnerable people where they were, instead of protecting the hospitals, (laughs) you know, then I think that we would have had very different outcomes in terms of protecting people against COVID in the first wave. And so I think that we also, you know, what you just brought up is not a conversation that we can see fading easily into a hospital in our current setting but we really have to meet people where they are. And people don't necessarily, we saw now during the pandemic, they don't necessarily need to or want to go to the hospital. You know, there are other ways to help people and to make them healthier and to reach out to them in their own communities or where they are and not just the hospital. And so I think that that approach that, that you're talking about, I think, is important, and it it, it does invite itself into the conversation in a more value based approach, where you're really having this conver- Sometimes it's it's an unarticulated need. Sometimes some people do not have the vocabulary to express often. what they need.
0: When you look at the rate, when you look at the rate of growth of chronic health problems brought on by lifestyle related choices. I mean. The, the upward moving side of the graph. So like our innovation is getting better, our technology getting better. We have more apps than ever that help with exercise and nutrition. And yet there's significant rise in diabetes, significant rise in in lifestyle-related cardiovascular issues, respiratory issues. So yes, what is what is the population saying? Um, something in my life feels out of alignment. Something about the way I'm living, um, I'm not connected to. um so this has to be part of our health matrix thinking. Uh, I mean, I think it, it has to be if we're going to have a healthy a healthy healthcare system.
1: But the other thing to, to keep in mind is that even in our current system, not everyone is ready and willing to actually receive all of the information sure. or to give all of the information, right? So at the Quebec Cancer Coalition, we're definitely proponents of... of you know, empowerment of people receiving care and having them be as involved as they would like. But it's really important to not burden people with more responsibility than they're willing or able to handle in that specific moment. And so some people just want to be taken care of by the system and we have to respect that. We we cannot you know, transform the healthcare system to make it that only the most enlightened people doing personal growth will get the care that they deserve. We really have to make sure that it's equitable for everyone and that you can be as involved or not as you choose. We really have to respect that personal choice and meet people where they are. And yes, you know, offer them uh, our, our help and support if they would like it, but at the same time, really respecting where they are and not, Forcing them to, for example, you know, deal with years of unresolved trauma that has led them to binge eating and addictions or whatever it is. Um, but in a, just, I, 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 yeah. Uh, just
0: to clear, clear to clarify, though, an empowerment model doesn't imply that um, you are the only steward of your well-being and that, you know, it's, it's like, it means that we create a supportive ecosystem where you feel like you're at the helm of your life. And if you can't grab the wheel in that moment, you obviously have a supportive network to help you do that. But yes, at some level, our our, our objective is to make you feel a sense of, if I don't have either foot on the ground, at least I have one. And then yes. maybe eventually I have two. Um, and that's And that's not a recognition, and that's not a value judgment. It's honoring, to your point, is actually meeting someone where they are. And if they are in a deeply vulnerable state, Yes, you meet them where they are in that moment without judgment. Um, so I think that's part of the process as well as honoring where the person is. That actually starts an empowerment process when you meet someone yeah. where they are. There's actually a gap in that in our current healthcare system. I mean, we talk to a lot of healthcare professionals right now about their attitude towards vaccination. Like, they're so dead set on the idea that everyone gets vaccinated. They meet a patient or a client who's unvaccinated, and they have an instant visceral reaction to that person, to that person, in a highly judgmental way. Um, and of course, it's impacting on how they're approaching care or how they feel towards that person. So, even in that model, even those attitudes need to be addressed, right? Because if you are really in service or in presence to that person, your first instinct is curiosity. Why is this person making these choices? And I'm here to understand why. And then, and to your point, meet them where they are. So how do we work with, you know, the fabric of this person's life?
1: And I think that just allowing people to feel listened to and respected and supported goes a long way to having them, you know, play a greater role in their own healthcare, but also feel less distress towards the healthcare system. Like most people don't currently feel that. And as much as healthcare providers have really great intentions and are you know, good people deep down because otherwise they wouldn't be doing this profession. But at the end of the day, our current system doesn't foster this this compassion and this listening. And, you know, in terms of in, in value-based care, we also uh, aim to measure uh, patient reported experience. And so the experience is really not, it used to be that we would just ask patients, you know, how did you like the cafeteria food? How was the parking? That is really not, that useful at
0: all, but My the was reported, terrible. But damn, I got a great parking spot.
1: <laughs> the food was great. Really, or, no
0: one ever talks about actually.
1: At I had best. great surgery, but bad food. <laughs> I'm not coming back. Right. But the more important questions to ask are: Did you feel listened to? Did you feel respected by your care team? Um, do you feel supported in your personal health goals? And that makes the experience of healthcare so much better and when you're when you do feel like you're driving your own vehicle you know and that you have some control over your own health trajectory it does make things better it does improve resilience it does allow you to overcome difficulties um we we really see that there's a huge impact when people feel that they're losing control Uh, they, they just, they stop trying and also their, their health outcomes actually get worse. So this is something that costs $0, (laughs) you know, this is not asking to spend more money in our healthcare system. It's just, how do we reallocate the funds actually distribute amongst other healthcare professionals that can also be useful, namely psychosocial support which is really underused in our current system and can make a huge difference in the quality of life of, yeah. you know, various people. So I think that psychosocial support or, uh, you know, having a social worker help you with like other concerns that you may have, like financial concerns or, you know, trying to place your elderly parent somewhere or all of these questions that are more perhaps considered social services and, and have Traditionally, been neglected from the healthcare system. It's important to bring them back because ultimately, it improves quality of life, and that's what value based healthcare is really focused on. Not just improving the kind of binary health, you know, curing or <laughs> we either cure you or we don't. That's all we care about. Um, it's really looking at the quality of health and the and the quality of life. And and I think that to do that, we really need to uh, to think more about who else do we include. And it doesn't necessarily cost more. It's just about coordinating care that currently exists, but that it's underused.
0: Yeah, and I, I, the other thing I would add is something that we have to explore, I think, more deeply is the notion of community care and where the community plays a role in, I mean, that's that's a whole, that's a larger social challenge because, you know, people are, are living more isolated. They are living more withdrawn from one another. And, and that has a deep resonating impact on, our sense of health and well-being in the world. You know, you look at communities, tribal communities, other communities where that sense of community is critical. Like when one person in that community is not well, in a way the whole community is not well. We've completely lost that notion entirely um, because we're cut off from one another. And and a lot of people impacted by a health issue will tell you that there's the the connection they had to others, that sense of communion with others was not only critical from an insight perspective, <clears throat> understanding the the lived experience of others, but the sense of solidarity, the normalcy, <clears throat> belonging. And, and that's, I guess, where we open up to a whole larger conversation maybe for another time, even talking about the social determinants of health and what really does nurture health um, in a population. But I appreciate the fact that the values-based lens invites us to ask ourselves more honestly, what are we doing? Well, what are we not doing so well? And how do we get back to more humanized healthcare? Which is something that's very close to both of our hearts, um, and kind of at the heart and soul of movements like that we're co-leading and people for patients. And it's really about establishing a more human facing approach to health. I mean, I've always said, look, health is to me, health should be the bastion of what is great in us as human beings. If 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 there was no like what other sector could you think of that should be about celebrating what is great in being human and alive and feeling a sense of, of healthiness? So I think the value-based approach is hopefully a breakthrough or at least one of those contributing breakthroughs into shifting how we think about healthcare. I mean, maybe on a final note, if you were talking to a healthcare professional who is thinking Okay, so how would I bring more value-based healthcare into my practice? Like, what are one or two things they could do tomorrow without one more penny, um, one more widget, one more fancy technology that would have a remarked impact on their practice? Like, what are one or two things that you think they could do to make that shift?
1: Definitely having that conversation with the person that they're treating about Okay, I'm going to take care of making sure that you don't have this illness that you came for me for, but what else can we do to achieve, you know, your health outcomes and sometimes the person doesn't even know what's coming next so actually having that conversation about okay, this is what I'm planning for you in your healthcare journey, what what do you uh, want out of it? Like, for example, uh, you know, you might have some digestive issues here. This is what we can do about it. Like having that proactive approach, that doesn't cost anything. Taking that compassionate approach of kind of putting yourself in the other person's shoes and and anticipating their needs or helping them to verbalize their needs, that doesn't cost anything. So the other point is integration uh, and having more than just the doctor involved in your care, sharing that information that they, it could have been the doctor, it could have been the nurse, it could have been the social worker, any number of healthcare providers. But the idea is that that person is not going along that trajectory by themselves, but with a supportive team that actually shares information amongst each other, that shares these regular evaluations of their experience, of their improved outcomes along the trajectory in order to tweak it and adapt it to achieve those common goals. And I think that that does require a new way of doing things, but I think that we can start applying some of those elements, you know, without massive investments. I think that the principles behind that of just, you know, sharing that information about, okay, this person, Eva would like to, you know, not have cancer and also ride her bike and also be able to work and go to school and et cetera. Um, that's, what's missing that conversation, which doesn't cost anything, but also kind of encouraging the healthcare system to work more as a team and to share outcomes, to share that key information in order to do their job. Well, currently they're kind of doing it blind and just assuming that we're getting the results that we think we are.
0: Yeah. So I heard like active inquiry into what matters to the person in front of you who's living with the health problem to... Active compassion, um, you know, attentiveness and listening and presence. And then the third one is collaboration, seeking opportunities to act as a resource, a conduit among a larger team um, and easing the stress and the strain on the person impacted by the health issue who doesn't have to, you know, be a champion and an advocate and a coordinator and a mediator and a survivor and all the other things that come with, you know, what we currently ask of people impacted by a health issue. I think that's all sensible. And it sounds like most of it is really just free. It's just about shifting our cultural approach and our mindset approach to what are we doing here in the craft of healthcare. Um, And it's a question that we're going to continue to explore both in the work that we do at Huddle and then certainly in the work that we do through people before patients. Thank you, Eva. I uh, appreciate you enlightening everyone about a value-based approach and appreciate the work that you're doing trying to bring this into the mainstream healthcare system.